everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. to this episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Kat. Hey, everyone. How are you? Well, what an episode we have in store for everyone uh, this week. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So I think if you've never listened to an episode of Backstory Sessions, this is a great one to start with because... We are talking about the greatest sport ever, I believe, in the world. Um, Where did you get that information from? I mean, I'm well, not saying I mean, it isn't, but I mean, I don't know that it is. Uh, well, okay, so it may not be factually the greatest sport in the world, but it is the fastest growing sport in the world. Um, so okay. that's a fact. Okay, that I can believe. Okay, and so, well, if you can believe that, then you you can just believe a little bit further that it is the greatest sport ever. (laughs) Okay. There's some logic in there somewhere. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Um, So, it's so great, in fact, though, that um, in a recent poll in our Facebook group, uh, three out of four people surveyed said they had not played the game. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe it's a, I don't know, I mean, like, is it just because it's not popular here, or is it, like, I mean, I, I assume pickleball is, like, a worldwide thing, no? Yeah, yeah, international for sure. Um, but, you know, there there was one out of four that had played pickleball living okay. here in the U.S. So, um, you know, I, I don't know why the gaps, but I just feel like it's the fastest growing. So there, it's going to be popping up all over. All um, right, so it may, you know, it may catch on here and be a little more popular than we assume it is yes because you know people are going to listen to this podcast well they are listening right now as we speak and um they're going to want to know what is pickleball and you know would i be good at it um it's similar to uh tennis as i understand it yeah like tennis and badminton i think for like you know uh maybe older people um yeah i mean i don't know that it's only for older people i'm sure everybody can play i i don't know that but um yeah i'm sure there's uh you know well you know whatever we whatever questions we have our guests tonight will uh surely fill us in i'm sure yes and this guest that we have we have had once before that's true, we have. He was on a uh, travel-related episode, was he not? Yes, it was very fascinating in the Himalayas and, uh, you know, there's a lot of charity work. and. Uh, yeah, that was quite a ways back, I think. I know. So it's great that we're going to get to talk about riding, you know, because that's a favorite topic of ours. And um, Well, maybe. <laughs> No, it is. (laughs) Well, I mean, I know we we like to talk about pickleball, too, but, um, you know, we sneak riding in there as a topic from time to time. Um, But his, he has a a book, like, is this, I think, the 13th uh, novel? Yes, I I think I did read that, yeah, 13 books, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it is, you know, outside of being an unlucky number. Um, <laughs> there is that. But, you know, I mean, that's another episode. Um, right. But, you know, he has um, he has a way with words. And the title uh, of this book, you, do you want to say it? It's like, 
Uh, it's called a pickleball soap opera. Yes, a pickleball soap opera. I mean, uh, it has love, murder, <laughs> and pickleball. So, you know, at least two or three of those things um, are, are, you know, our favorites. Right, yeah, yeah. I, I've but heard. Not, you know, most people can just figure out. Right, yeah. I, I know murder probably, probably isn't uh, high on your list. At least I hope not. <laughs> Although in your writing, you do you have killed off a few people, as I recall. Yeah, uh, you know. What's a what is a good pickleball uh, novel without a little bit of murder? I mean, yeah, it'd be interesting to. I mean, it's a soap opera, so you would, you know. People die, and you know what happens then? They come back. I mean, right, as the know. evil twin, or you know, yeah, or they never were dead to begin with. You know, there's just so many scenarios in uh, these soap opera types. Right, but, I think in in uh, Dallas, didn't uh, somebody dream the whole thing about Jr. Jr. Yeah, remember they were t-shirts and everything. Yeah, yeah. who who shot Jr. And then, you know, he wakes up like in the new season he's like you know yeah napping on the couch or something yeah i mean that kind of hits close to home with my dad it's uh you know that's a whole nother story but um you know um there's so much to talk about and i think we should get right into this very fascinating episode and i want to say one more thing too before before we do you know this um today is super bowl day and tomorrow is the loveliest day of the year um <laughs> because it's valentine's day oh, and so <laughs> What more perfect guest and book could one have on a podcast? You know, I mean, this has sports. It's not football, but it's the greatest, fastest growing sport. Right. Pickleball. Yeah. And then it has love, like, for Valentine's Day. But then again, or, but then again it also has murder. <laughs> Well, I'm thinking, you know, Valentine's Day gone wrong. <laughs> uh, wasn't there like a Valentine's Day massacre, you know? Yes, say. yes. That was a mafia thing now, I think. Well, you know, so I mean, I don't know if the mafia is in this book, but he's going to tell us. It could be. That's true. It may be. So, yeah, I think uh, we should get into it and uh, talk to our guest, Jeff Rasley. Well, I just want to say kudos to us for, like, uh, scheduling this on uh, this is the most perfect guest on the most perfect day of Super Bowl and Valentine's Day. It would not have happened in, you know, probably any other podcast. I think we're the only one that's covering it. Just like this. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> All right. So hats off to us. That's what I say. All right. All right, so let's uh, get into this episode and uh, talk to Jeff. And we today have, uh, now we have a writer with us. So, um, you know, I think we should just get right into it. His name is Jeff Brasley. You may remember that we have had him as a guest before, but um, he's written a book uh, called A Pickleball Soap Opera, Love Murder and pickleball <laughs> so um we're you know the title jeff i guess that's the first thing um you know that's a quite an interesting title how did you come up with that well hey cat and matt um i came up with the title uh because those three items in the subtitle are sort of the main drivers of the um action of the plot narrative there's a pickleball group that much of the action centers around and there are murders more than one and yeah. there's a romance that springs up among the pickleball players but um although the pickleball 
group is located in north central Ohio. The story actually moves from Ohio to Chicago to um, Pakistan to Afghanistan and back to Ohio. So it kind of travels around the world. Um, so does it travel as a result of the pickleball team traveling or? No, <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah. it, it, it travels because um, the protagonist um, is a retired lawyer and he's just learning how to play pickleball. But it happens that a murder case that he handled many years before involved someone who became a spy for the CIA who ends up in first Chicago and then uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan. And that murder trial comes back to haunt the now pickleball-playing retired lawyer because a result of it sends a crazed um, uh, Marine, ex-Marine, in a psychotic state to take revenge on him for getting off the murder suspect. Well, uh, that's quite intriguing and uh, way different than, of course, the things I was first imagining of, you know, it being pickleball tournaments, people going, traveling for that, or uh, possibly the love part, you know, um, the couple, like, I thought maybe that would um, be the catalyst for all the travel. So that's quite interesting uh, and not at all what I expected. Um, so there's some similarities I see here in that um, you like to play pickleball, right? I do. Uh-huh. So um, how much of your love for pickleball is like an inspiration for or a motivation to write this? Yeah, it, it's a it was a big motivation um, in the sense that since the pandemic has started, um, pickleball has been the one sort of regular social and physical athletic um, outlet that I've had <laughs> for the last two years. Um, so I'm in a couple different, actually three different pickleball groups. And after uh, an initial um, pause, we, um, we, we were able to move outdoors and then we've, we've played indoors again and, you know, tried to be smart uh, about, you know, being careful uh, to try to maintain distance as much as we can. But I, I, my claim is pickleball has gotten me through the pandemic because it's kept me connected with some friends and it's also been a fun outlet when, whereas many of my other activities have just gone by the wayside. Well, um, I guess for the listeners, because uh, I know you describe pickleball as um, the fastest growing sport in the world, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, for the listeners that maybe um, don't have pickleball in their area yet, um, what is pickleball? Like how is it played? Well, they have to read the book. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. But I, just for you, Kat and Matt, um, I'll tell you. So it's played with a solid paddle, which is a little bit bigger than a ping pong paddle. And it's played on a court that looks like a downsized tennis court. So it's the pickleball court is about two-thirds the size of the tennis court. And uh, generally, you play doubles. Uh, so it's the, the reason that pickleball is so popular is it's being played mostly by older people um, who used to play tennis or badminton or ping pong or racquetball, some racket sport. And, uh, you know, have sort of slowed down, (laughs) which I'm in that category. 
and, and you, you don't need to run as much uh, as you do in tennis because the court is smaller and you're always playing doubles. And it doesn't put as much um, stress on your um, elbow, shoulder, <coughs> excuse me, um, because the paddle is lighter and the ball is like a whiffle ball. And so because the ball is also lighter, when you smack the ball with a solid paddle, it just doesn't put as much strain on your arm. So it's just it's a physically easier game to play. And most of the, the players that I, I've encountered are former tennis players. Okay. And um, so you're in Indiana. Um, is it very popular there? Um, I know you said it starts out in Ohio in the book. So um, where did it originate? It originated on Bainbridge Island, state of Washington. Okay. And it was, <coughs> sorry, it was uh, invented by a congressman who was a wealthy guy living on Bainbridge Island uh, named Pritchard. Uh, he and a friend came up with this game, and they, they first played it on Pritchard's driveway. And uh, they took a, an old uh, badminton net and put that up, and only instead of putting it up high, like in badminton, they put it down low, like in tennis, they took ball and they took ping pong paddles and they created this game and there is a, a tremendous debate among pickleball historians as to how the name pickleball was was uh, created and once one origin myth or legend or story is that mrs. Pritchard called it pickleball because she was into uh, and in rowing uh, the, uh, the the pickle boat is the boat that the the, <laughs> the oarsmen who aren't very good get stuck in the pickleball they're sort of like the cast-offs or like the third string <laughs> on a basketball or a football team but the other origin story is that the Pritchard's dog was named Pickles, and Pickles would chase the ball when they first started playing this silly game. And nobody seems to be able uh, to track down which is the truth. Well, I kind of like the dog story, so I hope that's really the truth. That's kind of cool. Yeah, um, so so we're, we're, I do want to, I know we can't give like too much away because we want people to enjoy the book. We don't want to spoil it for them. Um, so I want to to come back to that. But I like to talk a little bit about um, you as a writer and, um, you know, where did, when, I guess, did you decide that, you were a writer i mean did it start early on that you knew that that was something you were good at yeah um it, my mom was a journalist and uh her uh, stepfather was the editor of our local paper um and uh my grandmother had had been a journalist as well and so i grew up with writers and particularly around a newspaper and um i started at oh probably early adolescence writing bad sort of whiny adolescent kind of poetry and grew out of that by the time i was in college and wrote um, a couple of short stories uh, along with some poems that got published in some college literary journals and then just kept writing different articles, mostly travel articles uh, and when I was nearing the end of my legal career um, I had time to write a book which was a, a legal thriller 
and because I had been going off on mountaineering expeditions in Nepal and had started a foundation over there, my next book was a memoir about adventuring in Nepal and then kind of transforming into uh, doing philanthropy work over there. And then I just, uh, since being retired from the law, I've had more time, so I've been able to put out um, at least one book per year, and 2021 was very productive because I managed to get out two books last year, um, Pickleball being the, the last one that was published in December. But also, my wife is a, an even more prolific writer uh, than me. She had her first novel published when she was in her early 20s. Um, has had a bunch of novels, novels, and she's written several books on the craft. So I've spent my life uh, <laughs> living with other writers. Right. So um, what is it about um, books that you like, writing versus short stories or poems? How did you decide to focus on writing you know, a novel? Well, when I was practicing, I really, I just, I didn't have the time, and especially when I was helping with my wife to raise two boys, and I was a really involved father, um, I just didn't really have the time that I could write an entire book until I started downsizing um, my law practice. So I just, I would, you know, write short, but in terms of what has worked for me and, and I think really is required for everybody who wants to write a full-length book is you've got to really be inspired about some topic or theme or have a story that is just inside you that needs to get out um, because it's a it's a big task I mean to write a full-length book sure. and uh, it's you know it takes discipline I mean, you've got to be willing to devote time to it almost every day and and then to rewrite and rewrite until you're satisfied with uh, the final manuscript to turn over to an editor. And uh, it's it's a big job. And so, you, you know, you need to be really inspired to do it as well as to have the discipline that it takes to finish it. So I have a question. Um, you said you wrote a memoir and then uh, now you've written a sort of a, you know, a mystery type thing, which was harder. Uh, it's an interesting question, Matt, because on the one hand, writing a memoir, you, you know, the story I mean it's you're writing about what you've experienced right but what if you're writing what at least what I think it takes to create a, an interesting memoir it goes beyond just well you know this happened then this happened then this happened right you've got to describe how you felt you've got to describe what it means to you you have to convey something meaningful to your readers just beyond beyond your own experience you know there needs to be some lesson or some something that you're going to give to your readers mm -hmm. beyond just a, a series of experiences so um you know that's the the real challenge there and then writing a novel the challenge is you have to create an entire world um of course, you can base it on the real world or the world you know, um, which is what the novels I've written have, have taken place in places and, and times that I've lived in. So I felt like I, I could describe um, the scenery and uh, the sort of the zeitgeist of the period. Right. But everything that goes into it, you know, you're making up. And so the real challenge there is, do you have a coherent story that's really interesting? And can you make it real so that the re reader, you know, is inhabiting that world that you've 
created and these characters that you've created. So um, I can't, for me, it, it's like neither, I can't say one is easier or harder than the other. Mm -hmm. um, and I've written about an equal number of each. Uh, and I really, I really enjoy writing both types of books, but um, it for me it, it depends entirely on inspiration. I've never decided, okay, I'm going to write a book about such and right. and I sort of wake up one morning and, wow, I've got an idea. I really <laughs> want to write this, and then I start. Okay, yeah, I was just curious what you know what you thought because I've written both and. Like, especially with the, um, uh, you know, the memoir type, uh, the thing I struggle with is, like, where does the story, like, how much is too much? Like, how much do I want to reveal and that sort of thing? Yeah, I teach a class on memoir writing through the Indiana Writing Center, and um, the... <laughs> uh, sort of two of the questions that people are always interested in addressing in the class is exactly what you just said, uh, how much is too much in terms of detail, but all in the sense of how much about yourself are you willing to share? And then the, the sort of the other side of that coin is how much are you willing to say about other people involved in the experience that you're describing? And um, because I was a lawyer for 30 years, uh, I always address the question of, okay, so where is the line of what's defamation? What can get you sued <laughs> by what you write about? Right. Because, you know, one of the very popular uh, genres of memoir is the trauma narrative. Right. You know, yeah. this, ter this terrible thing happened to me, but I've come out of it, or maybe I haven't come out of it, but, right. but you know, here's what I've learned from it. And in, in doing that, in writing that, it off there's often a bad guy in that story. Right. Um, and so what can you say about that bad guy without getting sued um and there's you know there's a, there's very sort of clear lines that have been established uh in the law and sort and in kind of the custom of uh, uh literature that once you understand how to do it you can tell that story but not get sued or at least not get sued successfully Right, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Or maybe you're the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> In Matt's case, I think that's <laughs> that's what he's worried about. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the title, uh, Pickleball Soap Opera, is kind of lighthearted. Um, but yet, there are some serious um, topics that you address in this book um through your story like coping with a loss of a loved one um what to do after retirement so i guess that's maybe where pickleball would fit in um so were those the inspirational type things for this well um yeah, the the after retirement, what to do, was one of personal experience because that was, uh, you know, a challenge that I had to face. Although <laughs> uh, I found it much easier to face than Jack, uh, the protagonist, uh, in the beginning of the story, because I haven't lost my wife along with my career, which he had, and. Um, but, the, you know, those, those are serious issues that many people are going to face throughout their lives or in the course of their lives. And so I um, and my wife has become a little bit suspicious about why this why I've written this, because the first novel I wrote, the, the marriage breaks up. The second one, uh, the. Uh, 
the wife dies, and now the fourth one, the wife dies. So she's she's beginning to look at me out of the corner of her eye. <laughs> but it's you know, I mean, it's it's kind of an easy emotional setup. If what you want to do is you want to have a character who's starting in this, you know, this down, this down sort of state mental emotional psychological state and then have a story where he's lifted up um through the story and um so that's what i wanted to do with this character i mean he he's depressed his wife has died uh about a year and a half ago and then he had to retire about the same time because the the firm had a a, ret- a mandatory retirement age and um now he's kind of lost uh because he he's just sort of his identity is gone and his best friend who was his law partner who's also retired but whose wife is very much alive uh and he has grandchildren whereas this um jack uh, he and his wife Sherry were a childless couple, so he doesn't have grandchildren either. So he's really alone. But so his best friend, who has a very active uh, life, even though he also recently retired, invites him to play pickleball. <clears throat> and Jack falls in love with the game, and he also falls in love with this very attractive, somewhat younger, but not too much younger pickleball player and so then the romance develops and then later the the thriller murder mystery (laughs) part of it begins to develop yeah so your wife i'm assuming that she's read the the book um so what are her thoughts on it (laughs) um well because we have a, a family publishing company uh she's my chief editor so yeah she read it uh as the editor and um you know the comments i get from her are those of an editor and so you know i mean she liked the book but you know they're sort of in after the first finished manuscript there's all sorts of notes and corrections and suggestions and so that's the conversation how our conversations are focused about um, my writing or her writing and so it's this sort of professional level as opposed to yeah i just read your book and it's pretty cool or oh your book really sucks Well, so I would think on the one hand, it would be really great to have a partner that writes also and that uh, you're able to uh, give this feedback uh, to and edit. Uh, On the other hand, uh, you know, does it ever, does it ever like hurt your feelings a little bit? Uh, Um. I would say we have been annoyed at each other sometimes, but actually fairly rarely. Um, if if you've been through that process with other professional editors before, which both of us had been um, before we formed our own publishing company, you know, that's just, you need that. I mean, you need to, to hear criticism uh, to be able to improve your craft, and um, if if you just feel hurt, uh, you know, if an editor says, "Well, I think you ought to change this," or "I think you ought to drop that," or um, you know, you have a, a typo or a grammatical error, you know, whatever, uh, you're you're probably not a very good writer um, if you're that thin-skinned, or at least. Or maybe you're a really good writer, but you're not going to get any better. Yeah, I, I would think the the memoir type writing might be a little harder, um, just because it's a personal, a more personal writing, and people maybe are more protective of that um, 
that type of maybe because it's connected to your life and your memories um, that it might be harder to accept some constructive criticism um, versus and, and maybe maybe not um, just I know from my writing personally like there's some things that mean a, you know a lot to me and and so if people are critical in some ways about it it might um it might be harder for me to take than like other writings that I'm not that attached to I guess for lack of a better word well I think it also it depends on the relationship so for example if you're a uh, if you've written a memoir and you submit it to an agent or an editor um and they criticize it in a way of saying like you know essentially this isn't very good um or we don't think this is very interesting uh if you're uh you know a novice writer that's probably gonna hurt your feelings and make you question whether you ought to keep trying to uh, get this published <clears throat> on the other hand if you're not willing to, you know, take that kind of criticism seriously. Like I said, you're probably, you're probably not going to find a publisher or of course you can self publish, uh, nowadays. Um, I mean, that's something within the last, oh, 15 years that's been developed that didn't exist before. It didn't exist right. when, when my wife and I first started publishing. Um, but, you know, in the, this memoir class I teach, um, most of my students have been, they're working on their first book because it's for uh, full book length um, <coughs> memoirs. And not, you know, not all of them. I mean, some of them are already published, uh, some are multi-published, but most of my students have been first time. And I've found, um, uh, the, at least the ones that are willing to take a class like that, you know, very open to and welcome criticism. But, of course, if you're signing up for a class like that, I guess you're looking forward to getting advice and how to improve what you're working on and you know how to be, how to get inspired to finish it that's what i've noticed a lot of students right. are looking for we don't um, have that problem uh i can i can hear the a, a bit of uh <laughs> tiny bit of sarcasm there <laughs> yeah well <laughs> we have a couple things going on that have been lingering out there and uh you know Trying to find the motivation and time, most mostly to finish them, has been difficult. So, the the first memoir I wrote, um, I'm so it, it was published, and I was very lucky. I I found a publisher who was interested in it right away without going through an agent. Um, but what she she taught me something that I now teach have taught ever since then in my memoir writing class is what I really needed to make the book better and to finish it um, was to really understand what my central theme was. And so what she got me to do um, after I'd written a few chapters was to put into one sentence or one phrase what the theme of this book was and what she told me was if I understood the central theme, the central message that I wanted readers to get, that would guide me through all the detail, all of the experiences that I wanted to relate and all the ideas and thoughts and feelings that I wanted to put into this book. They had to in some way represent or be relevant to that theme. Otherwise, what are they doing in this book? And that really helped me focus on how to carry the, the narrative forward. And so um, in my class, what I, an exercise we do 
is I have the students, we just, we break, and I say, okay, now just sit there and work until you can write down in one phrase or one sentence what your theme is, and then we go around and we discuss each, uh, each member's uh, theme and make sure that the person, the writer, really has grasped what their own central theme is and about half the time half the students don't <laughs> you know they really they don't know yeah. what the theme of their their uh, memoir is right and so then they leave the class with that you know with that task you know trying to figure that out and ones I've heard of heard from later uh, usually if they can find that they can finish the book Hmm. So, what do you hope that readers take away from pickle the pickleball soap opera? Well, it's mostly I hope um, an enjoyable experience. Uh, it, it does address some serious issues, like you know, like you mentioned, cat uh, coping with loss of a loved one, um, coping with depression. Um, with what do you do after retirement when the, you know much of the focus of your life and identity was on your career? It also there's also gets into I- issues of how soldiers with PTSD are treated and even a, a little bit about um, domestic abuse. So those issues are, are sprinkled in within the narrative and. You know, answers are offered, but the the main point of the book uh, is to introduce people to the sport of pickleball, to tell a uh, uh, what I hope is a fun romance and a thrilling murder mystery story. So, what's next for you? Um, the, you said last year was a really successful year of writing, um, productive. So what's going on for this year? Well, um, I, I set the, the pickleball book up to have uh, it end on a cliffhanger, which uh-huh. sets up uh, the likelihood of a sequel. Oh, yeah. But... I'm not writing the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found myself wrote books like that, you know, and they. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, in fact, uh, one uh, a person that <clears throat> that I played pickleball with, uh, I don't, I don't really know him well, but we have encountered each other on the court a few times. <laughs> read the book and uh, emailed me and said, um, I'm only going to write a review of this book if you promise me that you are going to write a sequel. <laughs> and I wrote back, I said, no promise. <laughs> but um, uh, so I actually, I, I have started another book, and the working title is A, a Book of Daily Wisdoms. And um, what I've written so far is for each day of the week or each day of a year. So my my plan is to do 365 of these. Take a a proverb or a famous saying or some little bit of popular or traditional wisdom and then elaborate on what that means and how this will help you get through this day and find meaning in in life and find life worth living. So that's what I'm working on now. Wow, that's really interesting. I have a couple I can give you. <laughs> what well, email me? Okay. <laughs> um. So could you tell us one to like pique our interest or? <laughs> what one thing might be um <laughs> the the last one i i wrote was them that has gifts 
and that was a, a statement that my, my mother, I used to hear my mother uh, say uh, as I was growing up, and it I interpreted it as an expression of resentment from her of like, you know, people who were richer than us got advantages, and that's not fair. <clears throat> and now I, in, in recent years, I've heard um, my one son, who is a sort of leftist, progressive, socialist, Democrat type <laughs> thinker, uh, going on and on about white privilege. And it's sort of like the 21st century version of them that has kids. But as I, you know, thought a little more deeply about it, what that statement also implies is there's an unfairness built, built into our system, just sort of the way things work. Um, if you're born well off, you have advantages that people who aren't born well off don't have. But what that should also imply is that those who are well off should help those who are less fortunate get. And so turn that into from just them that has gets to them that has should give. And, you know, that's so a sort of a, a, an essay developing that thought, just a one page goes along with that saying to sort of to explicate a little a deeper meaning than how I understood it as a child. Well, that's quite interesting. Um, so that gives us something. When will uh, do you expect this book to be out next year? Um, I hope I'll finish it in a few months, and then it'll go through editing. And I'm I'm confident it will be published in 2022. Okay. So um, the book that you have out now, uh, The Pickleball Soap Opera, where can people purchase a copy? Um, easiest place is if you use Amazon through Amazon, or you can go to my website, which is my full name, jeffreyrasley.com, um, or uh, any bookstore uh, can order it. Okay. Well, I I certainly want to read it. I'm very intrigued by um, you know all the the murder and the love and the you know pickleball even um, you know so um, just the themes of it too. Uh, it, it all seems very interesting how it will tie together. So I'm excited to. Uh, it's something I look forward to reading. And uh, Matt, do you have one last question before we? Oh, yeah, put me on the spot, cat. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, so we did a podcast with you previously about your different travels. I mean, are you traveling at all or are you staying pretty much at home or what are you doing? Yeah, um, I haven't traveled over to Nepal like I had been doing regularly since the pandemic hit and Nepal is still suffering pretty badly mm. well of course so are we right. um but so um travel in nepal is not recommended and so I don't, I don't know when i'll be going back there but i did have one very interesting travel experience at the early on during the pandemic and i wrote a, a article about it which was published on a couple different travel magazines um and that was my wife and i started driving cross-country from Indy to L.A., which we were doing every year uh, to visit our uh, son, who right. lives in L.A., and it, 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 right after we started is when the pandemic started spreading across the country. Right. And, and uh, so the first few, couple days were dry. There's, you know, nothing, no different, you know, it's just everything's normal. 
And then um, we got to Kansas City, and there was an outdoor concert we had planned to go to, and it was canceled. And, hmm, okay, why is that? Well, there was really no explanation. Then we get to Moab, and everything seems normal there, and we're, we go hiking in arches and so forth. And we come back, and we want to go have lunch in a restaurant, and there's a sign on the door of the restaurant we picked out and it says uh, all restaurants in Moab are closed to indoor dining but we have carryout available mm. and then from then on it just is like it's now sort of chasing us and we got to LA and within a couple days of arrival they had the the first city lockdown mm. and um, one sort of funny little vignette is I always go uh, rollerblading on the Venice Beach and Santa Monica boardwalk. And, uh, you know, there are all these shops and uh, art and little stations and stuff all along the boardwalk. The only place that was allowed to be open was the marijuana dispensary. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, hilarious. <laughs> well, you know, priorities, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's Venice Beach, man. Yeah. <laughs> Can't get any food, but, you know, you want to... <laughs> that could be a problem, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you were had munchies afterwards, um, right. you know, he might want to plan for that. So, just saying. All right, Kat, anything else? Uh, I mean, it's been a pleasure, I think, uh, to have you as a guest again and hear uh, about this book and also about the one that you have coming out later this year. That sounds very interesting as well. So uh, always full of insightfulness. Uh, we really appreciate you being our guest again, and uh, we hope to hear more about your future works. Have you get back again. Well, thank you, Kat and Matt, and I would be delighted to talk with you two again whenever it fits your schedule. All right. All awesome. right, well, stay safe and best of luck with the new project, and uh, everyone go out and uh, wherever you buy your book and ask for a pickleball soap opera. All right, and on that note, we will end this podcast and talk to you all soon. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate your time. Thank you, both of you. Cheers. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to cat at iwriteplays at outlook.com or you can write to me at backstorysessions at gmail.com or matt at level11ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.